0: Good morning. <clears throat> if um, you're visiting this morning, um, what I'm going to speak about is not normally what we speak about here. Um, about a month ago, we had an elders-deacons meeting, <clears throat> and um, at that time it was suggested, because I'm uh, David and I work on the church books, it was suggested that... Um, I give a financial report. I haven't given one in a couple of years. And it was also suggested that I would consider giving uh, a message on biblical giving, which, as I was thinking about it, I asked Terry, when was the last time we had a message on this? And she said she didn't know. So she looked back through the archive and the archives of the CDs, and it was more recent than I had remembered. uh, but Charles had spoken on this. It was between five and six years ago, and since that time, we've had quite a few new people come into the church and meet with us regularly, and so it's it's good for us to have an understanding of what the Scripture talks about with with um, giving. You know, there's um, we're so shy about saying anything about it because we see so much abuse by false prophets who are trying to gather a lot of possessions and money for themselves and for their own little kingdoms that we tend to shy away from uh, teaching on it and it's, uh, as Charles said in his message last time, it's not right to shy away from truths because somebody else has abused it. And so What my desire is today is to just share Scripture with you about uh, seven principles. I'll call them that for lack of a better word. I don't know that they're principles, but seven things to consider when you're thinking of biblical giving. Um, The Bible has a lot to say about how we view our material possessions and money, uh, how we use those resources that we have. And how we have to be careful of chasing those things, those resources, uh, those money. Look, Chasing after that, that becoming the focus of our attention. <clears throat> Typically when we think about, in evangelical circles, when you think about the area of giving, the topic of tithing comes up. And... Um, so it's interesting when you look, the Old Testament has a lot to say about tithing. The New Testament is, has very little to say about tithing. If you look at just the word tithing, or tithes, or tithe, and you look that up, it doesn't come up that often. In the Old Testament, it comes up a lot. But the principles that are laid down in the Old Testament are um, still brought up in the New Testament. And I'll, I'll bring that out as we go on. Um, <clears throat> but when we think of tithing, we think of the law. But actually, tithing came in before the law. The first place in the, in the Bible where you, think, you see the term tithing is it comes up in uh, Genesis 14 where Abraham uh, tithed to the priest. It calls him the priest of God, Melchizedek. And at that time, uh, remember, Abraham and Lot had separated and Lot had gone down. And he had been taken captive by some enemies. And Abraham went down and rescued him and they brought back all the loot. And then um, Melchizedek appears on the scene. And it says that Abraham gave him a tenth of all the spoils that he got, or a tithe of all the spoils that he got, as an offering to Melchizedek, because Melchizedek had blessed him. And so in return, he gives him this tithe. And it's talked about, that is talked about more in the application of that in Hebrews chapter 7. We're not going to go into that, but that's the first place where I notice that tithing occurs. But then in the, in the law, the Lord gave the command that the people, the, you know, all the tribes of Israel, there were 12 of them, 11 of them were granted an inheritance. But Levites weren't granted an inheritance, they were the priesthood. And so the Lord had made provision for the priesthood. By, by telling the other tri, the other tribes that they were to take a tithe as an offering to God, which He would then use as a, <clears throat> a support for the Levites, that He would, that God would be their inheritance. This is how it reads in uh, no, Numbers 18. <clears throat> uh, then the Lord said to Aaron, "You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. Now remember, the priests were going into the tent of meeting to offer sacrifices for the people. So they were offering these, they were going before God in behalf of the people. And so God was, was giving them this, the tithes were for them. And then verse 24, For the, tithes of the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said concerning them, They shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. And then again, you see the the term first fruits comes up sometimes. You'll hear that when talking about giving that the first fruits. And so here's what it says in Leviticus about that. <clears throat> Leviticus 23:10. By the way, when I get in, I, I, Terry's going to. Um, there's a lot of scripture here once I get into the principles. Um, and so if you are one that takes notes, just kind of chill, okay? <laughs> Because Terry's going to, I got the outline of all the topics and, the, and all the scripture references. So if you want to have those, just contact my secretary. And your secretary, by the way. <laughs> and she will get those out and send them out an email. But anyway, in Leviticus 23.10, <clears throat> Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land which I am going to give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. So here's the idea that you're going out, you're, the, heart, the land that I'm going to give you, there's going to be a harvest there. And that first part of that harvest you're going to bring in, and it's going to be a thank offering, and you're going to render that to the Lord the, from the first fruits. Not what's left over, but from the first fruits as a thank offering, and it really is a thankfulness, a thank offering to God, and it's an act of faith that God's going to bring the rest of the harvest in too. So there's both elements involved: it's thankfulness for what God's provided first, and and faith to believe that God's going to continue to provide for me. So that's the idea of the first fruits and where we get the tithe now. <clears throat> keeping in mind that there isn't any specific command, but that's where a lot of Christians um will come up with a place to start their giving uh when they begin to think, Well what am I what am I supposed to give? Well they get it from this area here of this is what was, was uh put out by the Lord as a command in the Old Testament for the support of those who were watching over their souls and going before God on their behalf. And so that's kind of carried over some into the New Testament, and we'll see the word tithe doesn't come up, but the idea of support for people that are watching out for your souls does come up in the in the in the New Testament. It comes up quite a bit in the New Testament. Then there's an, this is by way introduction. Then then there's another verse I wanted to just bring up to you, <clears throat> and this is one that you probably are familiar with, but I was listening to a message. I th- by Ryan Fullerton in the last week or so. <clears throat> and it was he had some really good, interesting points that I had not thought about. But I've, I like this one that he brought up. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And what he was bringing out is, we live in a country in which if you compared us with most countries of the world, we would be rich. With what we have, the way we live, the standard of living that we have, we would be considered rich. And so he gives some cautions here. And he tells Timothy, you need to instruct these people. He doesn't tell them to sell all that they have, like he did that rich young ruler. He doesn't say that. He says, but you need to give them some instruction. Don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant. Don't think that it's because of your doing. God's blessed you. And he says, and then don't fix your hope on these things. And listen to what he says. Don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. You see, that's exactly what the world does. The world fixes its hope on things that are uncertain they're they're going to pass they're perishing you just look at the stock market and what happened in the recent years people who had their hope fixed on that and they're broke and they are they're they're going around in despair because that's where their hope was he says no you want to hope fit, put your hope fix your hope on god that's who you want to fix your hope on and look what he says he says but fix your hope on don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches but on god who richly supplies us, see, the idea that everything we have comes from God. He's the one who supplies us. And what for? Who supplies us uh, with all things to enjoy. It's not that if God's blessed you materialistically and you're doing okay. It's not that you should be ashamed of that. You should be thankful for that. But then he goes on to say that, instruct them to do good, be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. If God's blessed you, be ready to share that. That's all God's saying. Be thankful for what you have. Be ready to share. Don't be running around like the world, hanging on to this stuff that's going to perish. You realize how much freedom and liberty there is to be a Christian. Because your hope isn't fixed on this stuff. It's fixed on God. Yeah. He's the one who provides for you. And so you can just with great liberty and freedom give. See, the lost person can't do that. He can't. His hopes are fixed on this stuff, and he's holding on to it. He's just grabbing on and holding on. But the Christian has great liberty and freedom that the lost person doesn't know anything about. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to be a Christian. Anyway, what I would like to now do is to talk about seven principles, and like I said, maybe that's not the right word, maybe it's just some seven thoughts that have been really helpful for me when I've thought about this over the years, and some of it as I've studied it here recently in the last month or so, have really just been rekindled in my heart as I looked at some of these things. So I want you to consider what the Bible says, not what I'm saying. I'm not pushing a point. I'm not trying to wring money out of you. I want you to know what the Bible says to believers, not to lost people, to believers about giving. Okay? The first principle or the first thought, we are stewards we're stewards. You see this, this idea of stewardship is quite different than ownership. Ownership possesses, they hold on to, it's theirs. The difference, the owner thinks that everything they have is because they got it. They pursued it, they worked hard, they earned it, they deserved it, and it's theirs. The steward, it's a different type of mentality. The steward views everything that they have, including themselves, as coming from God. It's a gift from God. And you're entrusted, not possessing. You're entrusted with it, and you view that as something that's there in your hands. If you wanted a graphic, this is possession, this is ownership, Possession. This is stewardship. God puts it here. He says, take it and put it over there. And that's what you do. He gives you your paycheck and he says, I want you to give, um, I want you to give from that to your church. And, then, and in addition to that, there's this sister over here who has a need. There's this brother over here who has a need. And I want you to take what I've given you and I want you to take it and give it to them in my name see that's that's stewardship you see that first the first where that's first acted out is in the garden of eden god created adam he was life was a gift from god for adam he then creates a garden for adam i'm not getting this necessarily in the right order but he he create, he, he has a garden for adam okay All the fruit that are in the garden is for Adam. And the Lord commands Adam to take care of it, to be a steward over it. And it's all yours, except don't eat of this tree. But it's all yours. It's yours. Eat of it. Rejoice. Be glad. Thank me. That's what stewardship is. We see that idea of the first fruits that I mentioned in Leviticus 23. They bring in the crops. They offer up the first fruits. Why? It's a recognition. This is from God. I want to return and give him the first portion. Give it up to him. Thank you, Lord. If you've provided this for me, I know you're going to provide the last portion. You're going to stretch that last portion. David, in Psalm 24, verse 1, says this, the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Everything's the Lord's. He created it. You're the Lord's. Everyone who dwells in it belongs to... See, Eve, I was talking with my sister this week. It was wonderful. But just the idea we were talking about that we are created for God. God created us for himself. We're his. That's what we are. We're his. All those who dwell in it. <clears throat> My favorite verse, <clears throat> uh, probably related to this, is from 1 Corinthians 4.7. And I'll just just tell you the kind of the 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where the Corinthians are choosing up sides. I'm a Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and and Paul has to correct this wrong attitude of who they're following. And then he's talking in there about gifts and those types of things, and he says this in verse 7, For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? It's amazing, isn't it? I was on campus one time, I was talking with um, one of the advisors, and I said, you know, we have have people that have been gifted with an intellect here on this campus. They've been gifted. It's a gift. We've got athletes that have been gifted with talent. It's a gift. I mean, you can try all you want to jump as high as some of those guys do. You're not going to do it. It's a gift. And yet you walk around pounding your chest like you're something. Or you, you put other people down with your ar- intellectual arrogance like you're something. It's a gift. He says, why are you boasting? This is a gift. What do you have that you haven't received from God? Physically? Intellectually, materialistically, everything you have comes from him. You're a steward. Don't reach out and possess it. Use it as a steward would. <clears throat> then there's this verse in Second Corinthians eight, five. This is the chapter where Paul's talking about these Christians in Macedonia sending support or desiring to send support to the church in Jerusalem. I'm going to refer to this verse again later, but just this. Paul says, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They gave themselves to the Lord. If you're a Christian, that's what you've done. You've given yourself to the Lord. If you're not a Christian here today, we don't want your money. What we want you to give is we want you to give yourself to the lord that's what we want give yourself to the lord and that's what paul's saying they first gave themselves to the lord then what did they do well then they gave themselves to us and they gave their some of their possessions to us just that generous heart that's what the the, the steward exemplifies so point number 1 christians are stewards Point number two, Um, the motivation for New Testament biblical giving is love and grace, not law. Love and grace is what motivates the giver in the New Testament. You see that exemplified in the Godhead. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see that? God so loved that he gave. That's the father. You see the son exemplifying that. in Paul in Galatians, this is a, a verse that we hear a lot quoted. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live by the, in the flesh by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, there's the love, and gave himself for me. There's the giving. Mo- giving that's motivated by love. Exemplified in the Father and in the Son. <clears throat> Galatians two. You want to fulfill God's law? Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Well, how do you bear one another's burdens? Well, sometimes that requires prayer. They, want, they need prayer support. I mean, Jenny had a burden here, and we, we prayed for her, and God answered. That's, that's what it is. You're bearing one another's burdens. And God hears those prayers, he answers. Sometimes it's physical help. Andy needed to move People jumped in and brought trucks and stuff and helped them move. That's bearing one another's burdens. Sometimes it's financially bearing somebody's burden. There's a medical expense or some other thing that's come up. So you pitch in and you give. You bear one another's burdens. So something that pleases God, it fulfills the law of Christ. It's, the, it's exemplifying that giving that's motivated by love and grace towards others, towards God and towards others. Third point, when we think of giving, the primary place we should be thinking about is the support of the local church and the pastors that are going before God regularly, consistently, faithfully in your behalf. Those that are bearing your burdens, you see, they're taking your burdens and they're bearing them on their heart to God. They're going to God in your behalf. They're coming to you with words of God when they prepare their messages, when they teach, when they preach. When you are in a crisis and they get together with you and they pray with you and give you godly counsel. They're bearing you up. They're bearing your burdens. When we go for outreach, somebody has to take care of that. There is expenses involved with that. You're bearing that burden by giving to the local church. And that's the primary, I say, the primary place where that should be um, demonstrated is given to your local church. We see this um, in that same passage there in Galatians chapter 6, 2, where it says bearing one another's burdens. It says four verses down in 6, 6, it says this. Um, <clears throat> the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now this... We're the ones being taught we're to share all good things. Sometimes that means sharing. Um, Dick, I really appreciated that. That really spoke to me. I really, The Lord really spoke to me through that message. Sometimes it's that, sharing that. But specifically here, I think he's talking about sharing, bearing their burden financially. I mean, I can tell Dick or Charles, well, I really appreciated that message. That doesn't pay their electric bill. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't. I mean, it may encourage them, But they still have to pay the bill. They still have mortgage payments. They still have to support the family. Those things are necessary. And he says here that we're to do that. I want you to turn to this one. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 are um, portions of Scripture that are dealing with uh, support for... Uh, those that are over overseeing your soul, watching over your soul. But I'm going to pick it up here in verse 9 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do not we more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things So that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat of the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And I want to bring your attention to this first part of that verse. The Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So it's a direction from God that we are suppo- supposed to support those that are watching over our souls. We have the same idea in 1 Timothy five seventeen and 18, and I'll just read this to you. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of all of his wages. This is a quote from the Lord. The laborer is worthy of all his wages. So, those receiving double honor who rule well, and especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. If you've been here very long, you realize probably the depth and the quality of teaching that we get from this pulpit week in and week out. It's not a common thing to have that. I'm telling you, it's not common. And so we ought to be very grateful, and I know you are, for our pastors and their labors in our behalf. And when we give... Our offerings, uh, what we're doing is we're helping in the support of our pastors and their families. Fourth point, giving in the New Testament is something Christians want to do. You don't have to beat them and drag it out of them. Religious people is a different story. Religious lost people, you have to do that with. But Christians, you don't have to beat the sheep. And I want to direct your attention, and again, I want you to turn to this. Acts chapter 2. This is, uh, <clears throat> pick it up here in verse 42. This is after Pentecost. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and we're sharing them with all who might have need. Now, keep in mind, there was no command from the apostles to sell everything they had and put it into this pool. That wasn't it at all. This was totally a voluntary thing. They saw needs, they saw they had access, they sold what they had, and they turned around and gave it to those in need. It was just something that naturally flowed out of them. That's what they wanted to do. And that's the way it is with Christians. They want to give. Terry sent an email out recently for some meals. It was, I don't remember when this was. And she's got this new phone now, you know, it pings all the time when emails come in who so are sitting at a restaurant, ping, 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 ping. She says, I've got all my slots filled up and they're still pinging. <laughs> and that's see, that's the heart of the Christian. They want to give. It's not something that they don't want to do. They want to serve. They want to give. That's what God's put in their heart to do. <clears throat> Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is absolutely phenomenal and wonderful. Verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. See, it's God's grace on those people. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability, beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. So here they are. Look at this verse 2. A great ordeal of affliction. That's what they're going through. And yet, an abundance of joy in this affliction. And they're poor. Deep poverty. And they're giving. They want to give. And this is how the Lord views it. Their Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in wealth. Now think about that in wealth, in their liberality. They were poor. They didn't have a lot to give. They were poor. There's deep poverty. And yet, great generosity, great liberality. In what they had, they wanted to give. If you get the impression that people are saying, well, you can't kind of afford to give this. Yeah, I know. But can we? We want to. We want to give. Begging them for the opportunity to be a part of relief for these other churches. This is the heart. You see the heart of it? It's just this idea. And they gave according to their ability. We'll get into that a little bit later. And beyond, sacrificially. They gave of their own accord. There wasn't any coercion. This is what they wanted to do. Wonderful, wonderful passage. Drop down to verse 9 of that same chapter. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Christ was rich. He took on great poverty for us that we would be rich in him and... That's what we're to be. That's the way we're to be. See, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is changing you. He's put a heart in you, a new heart that wants to give. And he's changing you to want to give more and more to be just like Jesus. That's what he's doing. I'll read you this one. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, Christians are, gen- are, by definition, generous. This is what John says. We, lo- we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay it down our lives for the brethren. Now listen to this. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? How can that be? Has your heart been changed? Your heart's cold towards this brother in need when you have the means with which to help him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but indeed in truth. So this idea of, you see, what John is saying is is this doesn't fit. If you're, if you're a Christian and you have a new heart and you see this brother in true need and you have a, an abundance and you turn your back on him, something's not, something doesn't jive there. It's not right. doesn't make sense. Because by nature of a Christian, they tend to be generous. Because God's put that new heart and generosity in them. Fifth point, <clears throat> and we've already looked at this a, a little bit, God wants us to give freely, generously, and joyfully. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 8 here uh, in verse 3 where he says, uh, they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability, uh, and they gave of their own accord. So they gave of their own accord, no coercion, no coercion. If you flip over to the next chapter in chapter 9 verse 7 he says each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart not grudgingly and under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver so again this idea not it's not under compulsion what has God spoken to you about? It's what he's saying here about purposing in your own heart. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his own heart. It's not, I can't come up here or somebody else say, this is how much you should give. You, this is between you and God. You need to get with God on this. What does he want you to, to do? And you purpose in your own heart, and then you don't, oh man, I've got to give this stuff again this month. No, it's joyfully giving. That's what he's saying. You give it joyfully because you're rendering it up to God. He loves a cheerful giver. I would say that whatever the Lord has spoken to you about that he wants you to give, you just determine that in your own heart and then be cheerful and joyful and consistent and regular in doing that. And God will be pleased with that. Dick brought this one up to me the other morning in a prayer meeting I thought was really good. In Exodus 25, the Lord's speaking to Moses, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart moves him. You shall raise my contribution whose heart shall move him. The Holy Spirit's able to speak to hearts, you see. Doesn't require us to beat people. The Holy Spirit is God. He's able to speak to hearts. He's able to move people's hearts when there's needs. It's between you and God. That, that pleases God when you listen to the Holy Spirit and obey Him. That pleases Him. Sixth point. I only have seven, so hang in there. <clears throat> Sixth point, and we looked at this one also in Second in, uh, Corinthians eight. Uh, God wants us to give according to our ability to give, not our inability to give, our ability to give. So if you don't have the ability to give as much as you would like to give, because remember, the Christian wants to give, but sometimes they don't have the ability to give. If you want to give and your rent is due and that's all the money you have, it's not yours. It's the person you're paying rent to. That's their money, not your money. So don't give their money to the Lord. <laughs> you give what your ability is. Now, if you pay your rent and you have 50 bucks, and that's yours, if God wants you to give all of it, you can give all of it. But don't give somebody else's money to, to the Lord, who you, who you owe the money to. <clears throat> Um, But look at 8.12, 2 Corinthians 8.12. I can just read it to you. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. Remember, we're stewards. And God chooses oftentimes to put more money in the bank account for some people than he does others. That's just obvious. So according to your ability, God expects you to be faithful stewards of what he's entrusted you with. Not what he's entrusted your friend with or your, somebody else with, but what he's entrusted you with. Be faithful with that. You see the same idea in, in Acts 11:29, And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea in proportion that any of the disciples had means. Which means some had more means than others. It's proportion, according to the proportion of their means. I, read, I came across a quote from this Christian fellowship uh, it's called Xenos. I don't know a whole lot about them, but they had some interesting things on giving. <clears throat> but I, I thought this quote was good. Um, because of our financial situations, because our financial situations vary widely according to many factors earning power, family size, previous money management or mismanagement, etc. It is impossible and unscriptural to set a monetary standard for what constitutes significant giving. God sets a different standard. 2 Corinthians 8.12 says, It is our readiness to give, not the amount we give that God prizes. It is our willingness to sacrifice for Him that pleases God more than the actual amount. And just this idea of... Where's your heart? You see, so much of giving, in the in the Lord puts emphasis on the heart, not the amount. It's on the heart, and you see that, don't you? In that, uh, we saw it with the Macedonians there, the Christians in Macedonia. They didn't, they couldn't have had a lot if they were deep poverty, but God views it as abundant wealth of liberality. In God's eyes, they were giving a bunch. Um, You look at the widow there in Luke 21, where she put in her last two coins, the coins she had to live on. And the Lord says, she put in more than everybody else, because this is all she had, you see? It was that thing of sacrifice. God God loves that, when people are willing to sacrifice and trust Him, trust Him to provide. Okay, last point. So, so far, we've looked at we're stewards. Giving in the Bible, New Testament, is motivated by love and grace, our primary responsibility. And giving is for those who are watching over our souls. Um, we want to give as Christians. We're to give joyfully, uh, freely give. And we're to give according to our uh, what we have, not what we don't have. And then God abundantly blesses the generous giver. <clears throat> you know, in, in Acts twenty thirty five it says this, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. So that's what the Lord said, that it's better, you'll be blessed, it's better to be on the giving end than the receiving end. Sometimes we have to, and all of us have probably been on both, but uh, the Lord's saying it's more blessed to give than to receive. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and this section on 2 Corinthians goes from 6 to the end of the chapter. And I think I'll read that, and this will be the last portion, big portion, that I'm going to read to you. <clears throat> uh, chapter 6 of Second Corinthians 9, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." And now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for, the food, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest, the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. So this idea of the Lord causing the seed that he supplies for your sowing, that is for your giving, he says that he will increase that. So you give, whoa, got more to give, and you give. It's not that you give like some of these, prosperity um, prophets talk about where I'm going to give a hundred and now I'm going to get back a thousand, tenfold back. God's promised he'll do that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about increasing the harvest of your righteousness. He's going to bless you. And and then he says he's also going to increase your seed for giving more. And you see that same idea in Proverbs... 11:24 there is one who scatters and yet increases all the more and there is one who hold withholds what is justly due and yet it results only in want how is it that you can scatter and it increases all the more well it's god that's how you give it away and god gives it back more abundant and i was reading recently in Incredible, incredible section of scripture. I was reading recently in Malachi. Malachi is, if you've ever read Malachi, it's the first chapters are dealing with the Israelites giving offerings to God, but giving tainted offerings. In other words, blemished sheep being offered, you know, the ones that they didn't really want anyway were being offered to God instead of the, the quality, the first fruits, you know, the best. They were giving kind of the leftovers to God. And they were complaining about doing it. Oh, my, this is so wearisome, giving these offerings and these sacrifices to God. Such a wearisome thing. And then in chapter 3, the, the Lord comes and he rebukes them for this wrong attitude towards their giving. Um, and but th- then after the rebuke, this is what's incredible. They're doing all this stuff wrong, wrong attitudes, wrong heart in it. God rebukes them and then He turns around and gives them this promise. It's an incredible promise. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven, and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So here, after their wrong attitudes, their just bad attitude, in giving to God, he says, get this thing right. Repent and trust me. Test me. See if I won't bless you if you do this right. If you just offer it to me with the right attitude, I'm promising you I'm going to bless you. And it's kind of like he's, he's telling them, put me to the test on this and see. It's incredible that God would say that after their, their um, wickedness of their own hearts, he still comes back wanting to bless them. And that's the way God is. He wants to bless his people. You will never be shortchanged when you pour your heart out to God and give your life to God. You will never be shortchanged when you give your resources to God. That will never happen. He will never shortchange you. So, those are the seven points, principles, whatever you want to call. And I would just like to um, kind of conclude with, when I look through the New Testament, There were three general areas that I noticed that giving was taking place. One we've talked about, which is the local support of those who were watching over their souls, the the support of the local church. The other ones were passages that looked at the general concern and needs of other people and that was a that's a big area in the in the new testament and um i really love this this verse that uh, ryan fullerton shared it's out of ephesians 4:28 he who steals must steal no longer but rather must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need and what he was saying was that The person's been transformed. They used to be a thief. They had a new heart. And now they want to work. They want to get a job. Why do they want to get a job? Well, they want to get a job so that they can support themselves and not be a drain on everybody else, but also so that they will have something to share. And the principle that I thought was really good that he brought out is, you know, the world says that we should live within our means, which is wise counsel. You should live within your means. Problem is we have many people living beyond their means and they're in debt up to their ears and drowning. It doesn't matter how much money you had. I just read about Alan Iverson making millions and millions of dollars and now he's having all of his money garnished because he failed to pay these hundreds of thousands of dollars to this jewelry store for his posse that he was buying all this jewelry for. So it doesn't matter how much money you have. People tend to live, they want to live at the top of their means. The world says you should live within your means. Christians are to live below their means. And they're to live below their means so that they'll have some extra to share that's that's what the principle is i thought it was wonderful and then the third place we should give is where we do give to to missionaries other ministries let's pray father i just thank you for your grace and your mercy and your abundant goodness and how you've provided for your people i thank you lord that you loved so much that you gave Uh, Your son, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you loved us, that you gave your life for us. And, Lord, what can we say but to say, Lord, we want to give ourselves to you and all that we have, our lives first, Lord, to give to you, and then all that we possess, Lord. We recognize that we don't have anything of ourselves, Lord. Everything we have comes from you. We want to be good stewards. We pray that you would help us in this area. To be faithful uh, stewards, to honor you with the way we conduct our lives in these areas, to have hearts of compassion, to be like this church these churches in Macedonia, where they they begged for opportunity to enter into this uh, ministry of uh, serving and giving to others in need, and so Lord, that's our desire to be that kind of a people. And we have so much indoctrination the other way in this world. Lord, change our thinking on this. Help us to just really have tender hearts in this. We just thank you for this time this morning. Amen.